Welcome to the 22nd episode of The Shannon Plan. We are in full off-season mode. That means we have plenty of coaching rumors for you. We're going to talk about the coaching carousel. We're going to talk about a one of the most prominent free agents on the 49ers, as well as a rookie defensive tackle who likes to eat rodents in his free time. I am joined by Akash. Akash, man, how you doing? What's up, man? I do not like eating rodents in my free time, so you will not see that on my Instagram. Um, but yeah, man, full off season. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch other teams play in the playoffs for a change. We had the national championship on a couple nights ago, which was uh, also pretty cool. You can tell how many you know superstars are on the field. Just a little good change of pace to watch something else other than uh, 49ers football. So Robert Sala, 49ers DC, is currently, and we're recording this on Tuesday night, is currently in New York per ESPN's Josina Anderson. He has his second interview with the Jets. He is among the finalists. So he's been a busy man. And Robert Sala is also interviewed with the Lions, Jaguars, Falcons, Chargers, and even the Eagles, which is a terrible job. Bob, please do not take that gig. Also requested his permission as well. Do you think that Bob, I'm just going to call him Bob for a future reference. Um, do you think that Bob is going to be the Jets' next head coach? Because he is the odds on favorite. And I guess maybe the real question is, do the Jets let him leave the building? Because that's not, even in free agency, players, coaches, that's something you never want to do. So what do you, where do you think uh, old Bob ends up? Uh, I'm going to say the New York Jets. So, um, you know, Joe Douglas, the general manager in New York, uh, you know, early on when he was asked about what type of head coach he'd like, he wanted someone who's more of a leader uh, and a culture and a character builder rather than like a scheme guy or, a, you know, someone like that. So Robert Sala, you know, fits that mold, even if he's a defensive minded guy. And um, I think he's the odds on favorite. Like you mentioned, um, Aaron Wilson, the the Houston guy, uh, also reported last week that Robert Sala's interview in Detroit didn't go so well, uh, which was where we thought he might land up uh, or, or land. Um, and so I just think he's going to he's gonna end up with the Jets, um, which likely means that Michael LaFleur, who's the pass game coordinator for the 49ers, will also end up there as his offensive coordinator. Um, and we'll see which other assistance Robert Sala takes with him. Uh, I tweeted this out earlier this morning. I personally don't like Sala ending up with the Jets. I just, you know, cons- you know, looking for his future, I would prefer he ended up with like the Chargers or a team that has like an established quarterback where he can just focus on building a culture, building up a defense. Uh, the Jets just have way too many problems, even if they have a lot of cap space and, and picks. But that was just my personal opinion. Um, what assistance do you think he would take if he were to get the Jets job? That's a good question because the Seahawks just fired their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, and I have no idea if they have if he has a relationship with Salah, but they did work together in Seattle. And Schottenheimer is a respected mind around the NFL. And obviously he has his last name. So his dad will carry a lot of weight, no matter if you agree with that or not. Nepotism is a thing. Who knew? But I do wonder if he poaches, you know, shoddy. And that allows the 49ers to, you know, maintain or keep LaFleur or keep uh, McDaniels. So that would be interesting. But I, I do still still think that, you know, it's, it's going to be LaFleur. But the question is, does he take D'Amico Ryans? And that would open another hole for the 49ers because Ryans is a potential DC candidate for the 49ers. But that would also mean we're we're probably staring at Raheem Moore. So we're just getting down the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole. But that's what's going to happen with the 49ers because there is a strong chance that they lose a lot of key members, not only on the coaching staff, but 
on the roster as well as in the front office. So uh, there, this can go a, a few different ways. But I, just to go back to your point, I, that was my initial take about the Jets job as well. But I feel like I've, I've come around to the Jets just being a better landing spot. I don't know if the Bills will be able to maintain their success at to this level. So they're not. Are they going to be the Patriots? Who knows? Like, is Josh Allen going to play at an MVP level every year from here on out? His his problem is Brian Dable is probably going to leave this offseason. Who's their offensive coordinator? And exactly. Effect. And then you look at Brian Flores, and he's doing a fantastic job. No no credit taken away, but their quarterback situation is kind of in flux. And obviously, you got Belichick in the division, and you can never really count him out either. It's just a weird division, and New York media is brutal. Um, Joe Douglas is the boss that kind of runs the show there. It's just right. a weird situation to walk into if you're Robert Sala when you're a defensive guy, and the biggest question there is, is Sam Darnold going to be the quarterback? Do they take Justin Fields at number two? And I'm not sure how much control Sala has with that stuff. Yeah, and I imagine that will have a lot to do with the decision of whether he wants to take the job or not. Speaking of control, so I, I kind of liken it to the 49ers. So the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch took over a very bad roster, like a roster that did not have a lot of talent on it. And when you look at the Jets, you see a lot of the same thing. So you see Quinn Williams, who is, is a very good player. But as far as the defense goes, outside of him and Marcus May, who is an unrestricted free agent, that's pretty much all the Jets have on defense. So they're going to have to spend a lot of capital and invest a lot in the defense. On the offensive side of the ball, you have Denzel Mims, you have Jamison Crowder. So you, you need a number one receiver. And then, and then 38-year-old Frank Gore. <laughs> yeah, you're right. My bad. How dare I forget? Frankie, not friend of the podcast. Frank, you got to come on, by the way. Um, Makai Becton, who's going to be an all-pro player. And then you have the quarterback situation. But you have building blocks. And, and again, cap space, questions in the questions going around, around the division. So – uh, not as bad as I initially thought, but again, it's not it's not a job that you're going to be like, hey, guys, I got the Jets job. We're going to win it all right away, baby. Like, that's not how it's going to go. So uh, moving on, Adam Peters is a finalist for the Carolina Panthers GM job. Are the 49ers going to lose Peters to the Panthers? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say yes. So we've been talking about this a bunch. We value Adam Peters a ton. Uh, just for his scouting expertise, what he brings to the front office. Um, we just know how valuable he is to that core. Um, and just kind of where he's been, he, it's almost been just gold, right? He was with Belichick in New England, then he went to Denver, now San Francisco, and see how the roster looks. And and it's tough, right? When you have guys like Peters who are, you know, uh, in the scouting department but aren't the final decision maker, you never truly know, like, who was Peter's guy in like the draft or free agency or whatever, but there's just too many good things about him and it would be tough for the 49ers to lose him. But I do think they do. Um, Obviously Adam Peters, he played for Matt rule back in UCLA when Matt rule was a position coach. Uh, I believe the two of them share an agent. Um, Adam Peters is a West coast lifer. He grew up in the same town that I did Cupertino. He went to a neighboring high school actually, which is kind of cool. Um, but I think they end up taking the Carolina job just because he's likely not going to get a promotion here. And, and naturally, you know, if you're in that role, you want to be the general manager, you want to be the shot caller. And eventually I think he takes that regardless of if it's equivalent pay or whatever the case is, uh, which would be, which would be a really, really tough blow. Yeah, it would. And, and I think on that UCLA point, I was trying to, I was trying to find out if they did play together, if there was any overlapping because rule is a defensive line coach at UCLA for a season in 20, uh, 2001. And I don't know if 
Peters was either there the year before or the year when he was a senior, but 2000, 2001, whatever. But Peters was also a defensive lineman, defensive end. So if that's the case, they were they must have spent a lot of time together. So their relationship is strong. And then you mentioned the agent. So they definitely go back. You would think based on his experience, based on his background, based on how well the 49ers have done in bring, acquiring talent, that he would be the front runner for that job. So if he, the 49ers were to lose Adam Peters, the next they wouldn't have to do any promotions because they already have somebody with the same title in the building, Martin Mayhew, who has plenty of experience. He was a former GM for the Lions for from 2008 to 2015, I believe. But Washington's football team, which is still a name, and I hope they never change it so we can always see that headline. They requested Martin Mayhew to interview for their GM vacancy as well. That would mean the 49ers would have to promote two people. But again, we don't know how big of a deal that would be because it, it's impossible for us to know who is making all these decisions, how big of the voice Peters has, how big of a voice Mayhew has. Shoot, for all we know, Lynch is not making these choices. Everybody thinks it always comes back to Kyle, and that's fair to assume, but it would just be interesting to see. And you, you, you actually tweeted this earlier today that Peters has been on the road. Like Peters has been on the road watching quarterbacks. If Peters and Mayhew, let's say, for example, in this hypothetical situation, Peters and Mayhew have been digging in on quarterbacks during the draft or that are draft eligible. They leave. Does that make the 40? Does that change the 49ers decision? Hey, we don't have them anymore. Are we maybe going to stay with Jimmy now? Do you think that's any sort of like, is that just too off the wall knowing that there's still guys in house that have been in the building for a long time or just what's your take on that theory? Yeah, I'm out. Honestly, not sure how that works. So, you know, when you when Adam Peters and Martin Mayhew's on the road scouting, I've, I've heard what they do is they fill out, like, what looks like a, a rubric or a report or whatever about a player, and that gets filed into the system. But I don't know if, like, Adam Peters leaves, if he's able to just take that information with him, or if that information stays and he gets a copy. Or just, I'm not sure how that works. But here's the thing. Carolina, if Adam Peters does go, does go there, they draft ahead of the 49ers. So if Adam Peters really fell in love with one of these quarterbacks when he was on the road because he spent time with them, then the likelihood that he ends up taking them at Carolina is, is pretty high, right? Um, so that would be, you know, something that's kind of in the way of the 49ers. I don't think it'll completely change their thought process because at the end of the day, it's Kyle Shanahan's show. And if he believes that in a quarterback and that person is available, then they're going to take that person. And I don't think it's dependent on Peters or Mayhew being there. Um, but yeah, it's tough when your two lead scouts who, like you mentioned, are on the road firsthand with these guys, like won't be there in the draft room eventually. That's tough. Cause when John Lynch got hired, one of the positive things was that he was bringing these two guys with him right. and you're like, okay, this dude that has no experience that's coming from the, has two guys that have been in front offices, have been, you know, in scouting circles. So they know they can piece it together. But now John Lynch, like, how do you, how can you trust him to backfill the scouting department when he's had no scouting experience, right? He comes from, from playing and broadcast experience. So it, it's an interesting situation. And I'm curious to see how it plays out from here. I've seen those two live in action at a pro day. Peters is doing the heavy lifting. If we're just narrowing it down to those two, like he is the one at pointing, Hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. Meanwhile, Lynch is talking to his buddies over there. I'm not, and obviously I'm not saying that he's not doing any work, but it just feels like Peters has a better grasp of what's going on in that, in that regard. So, all right, let's say Salah leaves. Let's say he poaches D'Amico Ryans. 
who is the 49ers quarterback as of right now on Tuesday, January 12th, who is going to be the 49ers defensive coordinator next season? Uh, I'd say Raheem Morris. And you and I are, would be thrilled with this hire for a variety of reasons because we're pretty high on him. Second, the Raiders hired Gus Bradley and Dallas hired uh, Dan Quinn to be their respective defensive coordinators. Two guys we were out on. We were hoping that they didn't come to San Francisco. Thank God they didn't. Hard pass. Hard pass. Just retread Seattle, cover three guys. Just did not want any more of that. So uh, I'm glad they got jobs. And they got jobs in weird situations, so I'm not sure if they're going to succeed. But that's a whole other story for a different day. Um, But back to Raheem Morris. So Raheem Morris took over in Atlanta after Dan Quinn went 0-5. And and just the difference in what he had brought to the latter half of that season, we could look in – look at in two statistics so uh when dan quinn was the head coach for the first five weeks of the season the atlanta defense was 28th in epa per play given up and 31st in defensive success rate and then in the subsequent 11 games they were 13th in defensive epa per play and 21st in defensive success rate basically with the same personnel so you can see significant improvement there raheem morris's experience has largely been on the defensive side and there's been some overlap with Kyle Shanahan. They worked together in Tampa Bay when he was on the defensive side, Kyle obviously on the offensive side. Uh, they were together in Washington and, again, together in Atlanta. So there's some overlap there between the two. Um, and I could certainly see uh, Kyle opting for Morris um, to be his D.C. Yeah, he's he has the most familiarity with Morris just assuming based on the guys that are available. So that would make sense. And that would probably be the the, seam, the most seamless transition. Losing Salah is going to be such a big deal. And I don't think fans are prepared for that, just from the standpoint of being prepared heading into the game. And I know it's easy to you know use straw man arguments or using one-offs, but for the most part, the 49ers defense was prepared every game to take away what the offense does best. And as a defensive coordinator, that's what you that's what your goal is. That's what you're trying to do. And the 49ers over and over, especially this season, without their best players, constantly were in the best situations in these games. And yes, it helps to have good players, but he took their defense to another level. And I hope that Morris just continues that. And I'm not sure if he's going to be as prepared as Salah, but just that they're in positions to take away the other team's best thing that they do. So I'm I'm pretty excited. If that is Morris, you know, we'll see. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to kind of study what the Falcons did under Morris compared to Quinn if it does get to that point. But uh, it, again, just it'll be tough to blow. It'll be tough to hire a defensive coordinator that's not competent with the talent that's on the 49ers. So uh, look, looking forward to that. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk about Trent Williams, Javon Kinlaw, and have some thoughts on the national championship. All right, we are back. Colts left tackle Anthony Costanza retired. Trent Williams, free agent, left tackle, going to command probably whatever he wants, whether it's a one-year prove it, whether it's a two- to three-year with guaranteed. If he wants $20 million, he's going to get $20 million. The question is, where will that $20 million, $22 million, however much it is, come from? So the 49ers, they let him get out of the building. If they let him go to a team who is going to make the playoffs, who has a good roster, who Trent Williams loves playing with Lakin Thompson. He it, it felt like he brought up Lakin every time. The Colts left guard, not the worst left guard in the league, uh, Quentin Nelson. He's going to make an All Pro team or two for the rest of his career. That could influence 
Trent Williams. But then again, playing in a dome could influence him. So we know Trent Williams loves Kyle Shannon. We know he loved his time with the 49ers. I'm just curious to see if, you know, that's that's a landing spot that Williams would prefer to go. If there are other teams that would play a part in that, what do you think? Do you think he's going to look at this situation like, oh, Colts opened up? Or how do you think this all plays out with Trent Williams? So we talked about this last week. And just listening to Trent Williams, you you it sounds like he wants to be back with the 49ers. Like he's being honest. He's not one of those free agents younger in their career that is legitimately, you know, exploring their options that are looking for a better scheme fit or um, trying to get, you know, a different situation, whatever, right? I think he legitimately wants to be with the team. But at the same time, he's not going to sacrifice significant amount of money in order to do that. So I mentioned mentioned this to you before we hit record. I think what's going to happen is he's going to meet with a bunch of different teams who are interested in him. He's going to take the highest offer or the one that he's most interested in, and he's going to give the 49ers the chance of like first right of refusal. He's going to say, here's what Indy or here's what T-Max is paying me. Match it or I'm locking, basically. And, you know, the 49ers, last offseason when they traded for him, they tried to buy some goodwill, right? They've... They guaranteed his $12.5 million up front. They removed the franchise tag possibility. They, they did all these things to buy some goodwill from Trent Williams, hoping that when it got to this point, that Williams would in turn basically just extend, you know, stay with the team and not hit free agency. But, you know, players got to do what's best for him. So Trent Williams is going to do that and try to maximize his money. I just don't know how you let him walk out the door. The 49ers do a good job with like expanding like the value of every contract, but with a player like Trent Williams, you just, you got to bring him back. So I think they're going to get bent over with this contract more than they would for like a George Kittle or someone like that, because they don't have any leverage in this situation. Trent Williams can just, just walk. So I think they're going to get bent over. I think they end up re-signing him, but it's going to be at a price that shocks some people. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And I, I'm I want to know what that price is. I cannot wait to find out what the mark like what the NFL market values Trent Williams as with his age, with his injury history, and just with his position and obviously his talent. So we're gonna backtrack here real quick because one of our pals, Javi Vega of what's the not I can't remember the name of his uh, fourth and gold podcast. That's what it is. He just tweeted and and he and I know he's not a you know, he doesn't have a blue check mark and he doesn't write for a credible or he doesn't have, you know, a, a website that he writes for. But he has good information. And he just tweeted that the Jets and Salah are official, which means it's probably going to happen, whether that's tonight, whether that's in the morning, whatever it may be. But that means the 49ers third round comp pick. So it's not going to be, you know, at the top of the third round, but you get a pick in the 90s or the 100s. That's still a quality pick. And best of all, you can trade those picks now so the 49ers if they have more ammo they can have they'll have a third round next year i believe they'll get one next or sorry this year next year and we didn't even talk about if martin mayhew gets a job for washington that's another third round comp pick uh, a set of third round comp picks for the 49ers as well so if that is true congrats to you sala if it is not true we never said that and we will never talk about it again uh we do want to talk about 49ers rookie defensive tackle javon kinlaw who did a very, very normal thing over the weekend. He, <laughs> So I don't know what, what he was doing, but all I saw was a video of him with a giant rodent in his mouth, almost like bragging that he had a giant rodent in his mouth, which is completely out of left field. Would have never guessed that, but, you know, 
where he is, I mean, it, I don't want to just label it as country because it's not that simple to just write it off as, oh, he's country. That's fine. That's what they do. Um, just what is your what are your thoughts on what he <laughs> what he did? How ridiculous was that? Will we ever see that again? Like, will Bob will Bob go to him like, hey man, we do things a little bit differently <laughs> in the Bay Area, so try just try to keep animals out of your mouth for the future. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. I just thought it was funny because you know, I so I try to follow all the players on Instagram, and you know they. They post stuff, and it's just cool to get a, a different side of these guys and just what they're interested in, what their personal lives are like off the field, and it helps you better cover the team because it gives you more perspective. So, you know, you swipe through their stories, and most of these guys, some of the older guys are, you know, with their wives, with their families, whatever, and then some of the other guys are, you know, they've got nice cars, and it's just – or they're making music, and they just have different interests, right? And then you turn on Javon Kimla's story – and it was just out of left field, right? This dude's got like a rodent in his mouth and he's probably hunting. You know, he's from South Carolina. He's he's different than some of the other guys on the team, which is totally fine. You can have your own interest, but it's just weird to us because I know you pretty well and I don't think you're like a hunter or anything like that. Neither am I. So it's not things, you know, we would do, but by all means, it's the off season. Let Ken Law do his thing. I uh, just thought it was funny. And uh, hopefully he's able to do that to opposing quarterbacks next year. Please, like, who cares what he does in the offseason? I don't care if he shows all of his workout videos. I don't care if he shows none of his workout videos. I don't care if he is showing himself every day with a rodent in his mouth. Can you tackle the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage next year? Can you play with better pad level? Can you use your hands as a pass rusher? Can you just improve as a player? That's all that matters. So, um, obviously, it's funny to talk about, and there are going to be different reactions to these type of things because people aren't exposed to that uh specifically <laughs> an animal in your mouth but uh mac jones alabama national championship um alabama beat ohio state convincingly on monday night that wasn't much of a surprise mac jones being you know having a great numbers as he has for what feels like every game this season wasn't much of a surprise as well the question is Let's say that the 49ers do plan on keeping Jimmy Garoppolo and they, they're not going to use their first round pick on a quarterback. They want to use um, they want to use something. They want to use that on a quarterback or maybe it's a pass rusher. Who knows? So they have a second round. They have a third round. Is Mac Jones a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense? So my initial question, my initial reaction to that is if you're a quarterback and you're not a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense, you might want to pick a different position because this <laughs> is a layup line that has plenty of wide receivers open. If you just don't wet the bed under pressure and keep your eyes downfield, you will, you will be fine. Uh, what's your initial take on Mac Jones? Yeah. So here's the hard part on evaluating a player like Mac Jones. You look at his team plays for Alabama. You may have heard of them. I think they've won seven natties and uh, it, it's insane what they've got going on. But back to Mac Jones, just look at his offense, man. He, He's playing with Devontae Smith, Heisman winner. You may have heard of him. Jalen Waddle, who was hurt, but he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. His offensive line is pretty good. He's got this dude from Antioch, Najee Harris, probably going to be high first or late first round, high second round pick. Stud running back. He's just got dudes everywhere. His tight end's actually pretty good too. So a lot of people discredit him and they say, oh, he's just playing with a bunch of all-stars. So he doesn't have to do much. But if you just, if you ignore all that, which is hard to do, 
he's like extremely efficient in distributing the ball with the plays that Sark calls. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, their offensive coordinator. Whether it's behind line of scrimmage, whether it's you know the intermediate, his deep ball is pretty good. He doesn't have like the greatest arm. He's not mobile at all. But you watch him and you see like that dude looks like Kirk Cousins. You know he's just efficient within the system, within the structure of the play call. He executes. He doesn't do too much. He just seems like I, I saw the tweet and it hit home. He looks like an uh, an algorithm that Alabama made to produce like a quarterback that could just get the ball to their like skill player. Because that's what he the ball to his dudes and they just create yards after the catch, which is what Kyle Shanahan wants in a quarterback. So I can see the fit. I just would I take him at twelve? Probably not. But you know, I can see the fit. I'm not touching him at twelve. In the second or third round, I would, in the second round, I would think about it, but I'd still want to go a more and I'm not a more valuable position. Obviously, that's not the case, but a more just a more talented player than Mac Jones because I feel like you can get the same things from Mac Jones that you get with Jimmy. You're just getting it on a rookie contract. Kyle Shanahan has often spoken this year about the value of a quarterback knowing where to go with the ball. And I think that's what you see with Mac Jones. And there is some value with that because just if you just watch the Seahawks and the Rams last last week, it didn't look like Russell Wilson knew where, where to go with the football, even though there were receivers wide open. So um, Mac Jones, good player. He probably not a guy that you want playing off script. Luckily that doesn't happen often in Shanahan's offense, but that is scary just to think about, you know, will he be able to elevate the talent around him? We know he's going to take the deep shots. We know he's going to throw it to the open receivers and, you know, move around in the pocket enough, but is he worth like, what's his value and finding out what his value is, is a whole different question. So my, my comp for Mac Jones would be Sam Bradford. If he moved better in the pocket, that's who I feel like I'm watching when I watch Mac Jones. And that's not like a slight at all because Sam Bradford played, think of Sam Bradford in, I believe it was 2016 with the Viking. Like he was a very good, effective, efficient quarterback. And that's really what you want when the 49ers in the 49ers offense specifically, it always comes back to like, why settle for a guy, just, you know, a guy that can get the job done. Why not go get a guy that will take that offense to the next level where you can, you know, it doesn't always have to be just adding the the rushing element to your offense. But if you get a quarterback that can hit receivers down the field, voila, your rushing attack just got better. If you can get a guy that knows how to move in the pocket what do you know? Your offensive line just got better. You just want a guy that can make plays off script, um, make a free rusher miss every now and then, and just hit the open receivers and keep your offense on schedule. So that's how I feel about Mac Jones. I mean, we're going to talk about quarterbacks probably every week. Uh, as we get into the offseason more and more, we're going to talk about different position groups, and maybe we'll we'll let you guys pick which position group we talk about next week. I, I'm pretty fascinated by the secondary because they can make so many different decisions, and it's all going to start with – you know, bringing Jason Verrett back. What do they do with Tart? What do they do with Kwan Williams? Like, what do they offer guys like that? So maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll we'll get a mailbag going next week for our uh, our podcast next week. Akash, is there anything else you want to add here? Nothing else, man. Uh, just hope you guys are enjoying playoff football. I just I saw a tweet from like the random 49ers account, which is actually a pretty good history account to follow. They they tweet out some stuff and. I think today was like the eight-year anniversary of the Colin Kaepernick Green Bay Packer like playoff game when Colin Kaepernick went nuts. He rushed for like 180. He threw for a bunch, and uh, it's wild how times have changed in in eight years. They're in a different stadium, different team, different coach. 
Um, just, just wild to think about. It's one of the, the highest 49er playoff moments, at least in my life, when Colin Kaepernick just absolutely went off. I mean, he, he looked like what Josh Allen looks like this past weekend where he was just terrorizing guys with legs and his arm. That's a good that's a good place to end it right there. All right, next week, secondary, where I imagine we're going to talk about Salah's new job. We're going to talk about if the 49ers have lost anybody else. And, you know, just with this team, there's always something that happens. So oh, thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, review, five stars. That is all. Follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. Akash, how about yourself? Follow me at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. This is the Shannon Plan and Go Niners.